This podcast is, is about us getting into the nitty gritty of what it's like growing up as a black and Irish person, growing up with, with a different skin tone in Ireland. Telling the stories, sharing experiences, highlighting racism, pretty much just playing a part in like trying to integrate the black Irish community into the wider Irish society. A weekly chat where we talk about all things race. It's just, you know, bringing someone fascinating on, get them to share the story in their own words, whether it's positive, whether it's negative. A lot of these stories were either experienced by us or they stayed within the community. So we wanted to create a platform where these stories can be shared. This is the Black and Irish Podcast. Hi guys, it's Amanda, back with another episode of the Black and Irish Podcast. Today we'll be talking to Emma Debiri. She's a Dublin-born writer, academic and broadcaster of mixed Irish and Nigerian heritage. In this episode, we'll be having a conversation about her 2019 book, Don't Touch My Hair, the importance of representation for black and ethnic minorities, and what it truly means to be Irish. So here we go. So your dad is Nigerian. Yes. Yeah. And then mom, Irish or Trinidadian, I was seeing in some... Yeah. So she's born and raised in Trinidad, but her parents are Irish. That's a, a very teenager. interesting mix of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is, especially in those times, because like yeah. my parents were born like in the 1950s. Even my dad, actually, he's born in Nigeria, but his brothers and sisters were all born in Ireland. My granddad oh, wow. was, um, stu- my Nigerian granddad was studying in Trinity in the late 1940s. He came over and, and throughout okay. the 50s. Um, so there was a small Nigerian community there, um, in Dublin at the time, which a lot of people don't know, but, um, most of them didn't stay, you know, most of them were there to like study and then to go and to go back home. Yeah. Essentially growing up in Ireland, you know, as a young mixed race child at the time, what was that experience like for you? There's different racial identities that are put on one in different time periods and in different yeah. countries. When I was growing up, there wasn't a strong narrative or discourse around the idea of being mixed race. It was very much one was racialized as a as, as a black person. That's, that's black. how yeah. that's how people would have described me. Um, mm-hmm. Occasionally, I would get quote unquote half caste. That was even the um, the, the, the nicer t- descriptions. We yeah. would say. There'd often be a lot of confusion actually. Like when people would see my mum they would be like, oh my God, your mum's white. Yeah. And I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, you're adopted. And I'd be like, no, <laughs> I am not adopted. Mm-hmm, People would kind mm-hmm. of be like, how does, how does that work? There was a lot of kind of like, um, you know, assumptions that, that I was adopted as well so yeah it was it was it was pretty intense like there were very very few black people mixed people people of color like people of color again was not a, 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 wasn't a, a term that was used at all like you know that just that didn't exist yet as a as a, yeah. as a term taking the kind of the current use of it yeah there were there were very very few few people around you know if I kind of saw another black person it'd be like it'd be something of an event it certainly yeah. wasn't like an everyday or even that regular an occurrence occurrence yeah um I was always struck and something I've written about was the fact that even though there was very few 
black people in the country at that time, ideas about black people, stereotypes and beliefs about black people, even though there weren't many actually in the country, were imported. It's interesting, you know, you said my background is like quite unusual and I realise that it is, but I think what's interesting about it is it's all linked through all that kind of global international relationship of my parents between Ireland, Nigeria and Trinidad is all actually because of colonialism. Like my granddad was studying in Scotland because of because of colonialism. You know, Nigerians left um, left Nigeria to come and study um, like in the kind of colonial centre, which was at the time the UK. And then because he was in in Scotland, he ended up coming to Dublin. But that was a kind of um you know a a journey that was the Nigeria was a was a was a British colony at yeah. that that point then my Irish grandfather had gone to Cambridge and started working for became a, a civil engineer in Trinidad and Trinidad then was a British colony as well so my parents spent their childhoods in the country that they did because my dad spent quite a bit of his childhood in Ireland because of colonialism so there's yeah. that like kind of reality of colonialism as like a, as, as, as a backdrop and as this connection as, as this thing kind of linking the diaspora linking people, you ask, yeah. Yeah. so you ask me where those ideas came from those ideas you know came from colonialism they came from ideas that were uh, existed about black people as part of that colonial narrative of like yeah. British and by extension white superiority and 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 black and african inferiority so those yeah. notions came from colonialism and came from and came from america it came from the construction of blackness and race that existed in america and that obviously relationship between ireland and the and the diaspora travels back and forth so i would say those ideas came mainly from yeah the, the english speaking world via colonialism and via kind of ireland's relationship with with america published a very successful book don't touch my hair personally for me the title alone just speaks volumes because thinking back growing up I've always had a very complex relationship with my hair and I think that's the same sentiment shared by a lot of black people around the world so Mm -hmm. what were the motivations for writing the book and essentially what was the message that you were trying to get across First of all, seeing as we're speaking about hair, can I compliment yours? I don't know if it's still the same way <laughs> as it was when I, I, I was looking at your um, Instagram. And do you have like kind of like a buzz cut and it's like it's bleached? Yes. Is it like, yeah. It yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my God, that's what I've been so tempted to like do with my hair. Like exactly that. I just want to like kind of get like a grade one or two and then bleach it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I'm too scared. So I was admiring yours. Like, oh, <laughs> thank I you. Thank you. Ages. It's gorgeous. I was almost did it at lockdown and then I chickened out. Okay, when I was in the States, I lived with the Nigerian side of my family. I lived with like my grandparents and kind of extended family. And my hair was just like in a very short afro, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's quite a common quite a common hairstyle for like lots of like little Nigerian girls. It was Mm -hmm. only when we moved back to Ireland 
my hair grew and um, was a lot longer, but my mum didn't have the kind of expertise. So my hair was just like not done. And so I just, I just hated it. Like, you know, like it was just, it was just kind of, <laughs> just kind of, I have photographs of it, like in, in Don't Touch My Hair. It's just kind of like a bit matted and tangled and dry. Mm-hmm. And um, all of the stuff that you can do with our hair, like just, just wasn't done. Yeah. Um, it was so different to the hair of everyone around me as well. You know, everyone had like long, like really long, like for little girls, it was like, you know, everyone had like long swishy hair. And that was such a part of being a girl and a part of being like femininity, like in that kind of construct of femininity. So it was just very outside the, 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 the boundaries of what was considered like pretty or beautiful Mm. and what was considered normal even, you know? So I was just made to feel like very, very self-conscious of my hair. And it really just felt like an affliction. It really like felt like there was just something wrong with me that needed to be like a problem that needed to be managed, you know? You speaking about that and even the whole thing about having to travel to the UK to do your hair. I think a lot of people don't realize just how much it takes to be able to manage black hair and I think for myself myself personally as well when I was when I was younger there's just a lot of negative emotions and a lot of negative feelings I think attached to my hair so I I got to a point where I was like okay you know what I'm just gonna cut it all off so I just cut it and it's just been like that ever since I think even going through that journey and going through that process for me was very almost like releasing I think I remember sitting there and I just cried but like not crying because I was like upset like it was like uh, almost like a a genuine sense of release I think from from all of those you know negative attachments that I had to my hair so why do you think black hair is still so stigmatized in in society today um I think because the move to destigmatize it um is actually like very very recent you know until kind of like the current natural hair movement which is kind of starting from about 2000 and 10 roughly I think that the default really was that most of us without even really thinking about it just relax just just chemically straightened our hair relaxed our hair of course there were some people that didn't but for for, that was the that it was the norm so it was almost without even almost a second thought you were just like there's something wrong with my hair essentially what you're thinking is there's something wrong with my hair yeah exactly so I wasn't not even necessarily consciously thinking that but it's on a subconscious level you're like my hair is not acceptable and you're told it's not acceptable you know like often in school in the workplace the message is loud and clear is our hair is not acceptable and we will do whatever there is in our power to make it resemble European hair and it's Mm. this thing that you just kind of do just by default almost and I guess from the the natural hair movement there started to be a widespread like kind of rejection of that and Mm. like on math you had black women and also like Black, black men as well, to to a degree, they're, they're part of this conversation too. Just um, kind of rejecting that assumption that you just straighten your hair, increasingly just like letting their hair like grow naturally. And it started off being kind of like a, almost like a subculture of people who were connected um, often digitally, and these um, communities like of naturalistas kind of like grew up and then there were these like hair events you know where naturalistas would would meet up and then over those past 10 years that has just become increasingly increasingly normal and now it's not Mm. even like necessarily like a community of women with natural hair 
It's yeah. just kind of by default now the opposite. It's, it's almost the norm where people, yeah, people don't straighten their hair. And there's yeah. been kind of obviously some people still do, but for the most part. And then yeah. there's like um, you know, a real em- embracing along with having like your natural texture there's an embracing of like the the protective styles that go with that the way more people like have different variations of braids or threading or crocheting their hair and all of this creativity and innovation and like diversity of styles that you can that you can achieve with our with our hair texture it's all unfolding now it's quite recent so that stigma that existed around our hair being something that was like you know perceived as being like it all like like I'm a historian so like I'm really interested in how history influences our behavior to this day and often yeah. like we might not know the history but the history kind of determines like the decisions that we're making and the ideas that exist. And with yeah. the stigma, the stigma around black hair, like goes back to um, the, the transatlantic slave trade yeah. and the, the idea that was being spread throughout Europe and the Western world and the world, you know, that black people were inferior and as a result to justify the enslavement of black people. And one of the things that was like linked to that narrative, that story of inferiority was like, well, they're not fully human and then one of the kind of examples of that was they don't even have hair like European people Mm. have hair they have wool that grows from their head and that's more like livestock Mm. so that kind of movement as part of kind of dehumanizing black people and the stigma around black hair actually has its origins in that and is Mm. still with us to this day although there's you know a big movement by us to rebuke and resist that and it is changing because like the representation of natural hair now I could never ever 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 have imagined it not even only when I was a child but like as a as as a younger woman like even in my 20s I remember the first time I saw my type of hair texture like on a like a on a on on screen um as though it was just ordinary and that was 2014 you know so it wasn't like that long long ago. ago yeah big discussion I'm not sure if you're aware of it about Michelle Obama and that if her hair had been you know afro that um essentially it would have affected Brock's you know political career and everything do you you think there's a that like there's a sense of truth in that is there still that feeling and do you think representation is the way forward in kind of alleviating the effects of this yeah 100 percent like especially like 2008 um and 2012 like the symbolic hugeness of Barack's election was so vast, you know, and so kind of so monumental and symbolic and repre- representational level that um, they had to certainly conform to a, a, a type of, you know, respectability politics um, mm-hmm. that if Michelle or, or Barack, for that 
matter had, had been sporting an afro i mean that would have just been like that would have just been too far like that yeah. is still would have been presented or interpreted by certain people as mm. an evidence of some sort of militancy or mm. of you know some sort of alignment with like with, with black power or something yeah. like that and i find it so interesting that it's like black people are the one group of people in the world that just doing nothing more controversial than letting their hair, our hair, hair grow. grow as it naturally yeah. does naturally from our heads is interpreted is, is associated with militancy. You know, mm. I think that's quite revealing. Um, in terms of representation, more generally, representation is important, but I think we get fixated on representation as an mm. end goal. Like representation is part of. There should be representation like a hundred percent it should be completely ordinary to see the different types of people that make up the cultures and communities and societies that we live in represented in the media and in the institute so i guess is it there's a difference i guess between like kind of media representation and then mm. institutional uh, representation people actually being in positions of authority and power where yeah. they can actually influence like decision making and structural change bringing it back home one thing I know you talk very passionately about is trying to challenge this idea of what being quote-unquote Irish looks like Um, Mm and do you think this perception is changing I think it is to to a degree yes and there's still like a lot that will 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 need to be done yeah Uh, I know that like when I was younger um it was largely unaccepted that I was Irish in Mm -hmm. Ireland you know, like the, the, the question of where I was from was pretty much a constant. And, you know, it's not gen, it's not generally like a genuine question, because I feel like if it was a genuine question, people would accept your answer. So, yeah. But when I would say not artists, challenge it. they weren't, they, like, yeah. that's not what they wanted to hear, you know. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just like a benign or innocent curiosity. It was more of a you don't <clears throat> you don't belong here. And I'm reminding you. Because otherwise, yet yeah, the response to my answer would would have been different. And I think, you know, often people, this was another thing, people would be shocked by my accent. At that stage, it was very, very rare to hear a non-white person with an Irish accent. So people would be like, oh my God, I can't believe you've a Dublin accent. Like, I thought you were going to be Jamaican. I thought you were going to be American. <laughs> like, just like, you know, it would just blow people's minds. Sometimes mm. people would ask me where I was from and I'd be like, Haiti, the Dominican Republic. I just choose like somewhere in the Caribbean, somewhere in South America. I say it in a Dublin accent and they'd mm-hmm. be like, oh yeah, grand. So I was like, you can actually accept that I'm from somewhere that I've never been to. Yeah. That I don't yeah. remotely sound like I'm from, but you can't accept that I'm from here. So that was a thing. And I feel like now it's quite commonplace, you know, for mm. people of colour to have Irish accents. That has, that's something that's changed mm. hugely, like in my, in my, in my lifetime. You're living there now. What do you think? Would your Irishness like still be, would your Irishness be challenged a lot? And have you seen a change over the years? I think it ha- growing up, obviously, like there was, there was like a constant question mark over my head, I feel, because I was like one of the first um, black pe- people in the area that I live in. I'm from Kildare. And I think mm-hmm. I was even the first, I was the first ever black person in the history of my school which at the time I think we <laughs> celebrated like a hundred years. So I was literally the first black person in that, in that area. So 
there was there was always that question of uh, okay where are you from and I'd say Kildare and like where are you really from so mm-hmm. there was that you know constant reminder that yeah you're not you're not quite Irish enough and I think that's something that I struggled with very much growing up because I was born in South Africa but I moved to Ireland when I was two so I literally have no recollection of of anywhere else being home mm-hmm. like Ireland is the only place that I've ever known as home and for mm-hmm. that then to like be questioned as a child it was it was really difficult I think to kind of cultivate a sense of identity within myself of like okay if I think I'm Irish but it's not really accepted that I'm Irish then what am I really kind of thing so that's kind of that's been the journey the last mm-hmm. um couple of years with the events over the past few months in particular I think there has been a shift in consciousness and I think people are becoming a lot more aware of certain things I say in most of the cases with myself it wasn't like I would say although I can understand how but it wasn't a thing of people were genuinely trying to be malicious I think there was curiosity there some people were trying to you know almost like put me into this category of other but it is changing I do think yeah I think so as well and like I always think like when my I have two kids one's only like a little baby um but the my older son like I always think about like when he comes over when he comes when we go back home and he's over like out playing like with the kids um where my mum lives like he's not like the only brown child and like there's actually him being there is like pretty unremarkable like he wouldn't like he wouldn't experience it's it's just not a big deal you know it's just grand whereas Mm. like when I went back at that kind of age it Mm. was like stop the lights yeah not only was it not as normal it was like a it it, 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 it was like a huge event yeah (laughs) and um and 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 there was actually in my experience, like where I was growing up in Rialto, there there was actually like <laughs> there was actually quite a lot of hostility at first, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, I always re- remember it like just like the first time hearing like the N word, like just I never heard it, I hadn't ever heard it playing in America, and then we were playing like eeny meeny miny mo, catch an N word by the toe, and I was like, oh, I don't what's that? Yeah. I asked, and then <laughs> I discovered. Um, Mm -hmm. and my son would have had no experiences like that you know so it seems like vastly different but I mean there's kind of 30 this 30 years apart so like it's uh, 30 something years apart so a a long time what I do notice though is here like sometimes like because I'm obviously like in London and sometimes I hear someone with an Irish accent a Dublin accent mm-hmm. and like a white person and I'll be like you're just standing in a queue or something and I'll be like oh my god are you from oh Dublin my gosh. yeah and they'll be like yeah mm-hmm. in a way of like kind of why is this random like black girl asking me like if I'm from Dublin and I'm like oh god they don't they they don't they're probably like yeah I don't know I then I'll speak more so they hear mm-hmm. my accent and they can kind of like make sense of it Take you know it, yeah, it can be a bit yeah. awkward sometimes I forget that I don't look what people's expectation of Irish is and then I kind of mm-hmm. get this weird reaction from people <laughs> yeah yeah that's very real I remember I was having this conversation recently with someone and there were literally times where I would forget that I was black and it would literally take some you know offhand comment or um a statement or some microaggression or something to like remind me like oh yeah I am different so I think that's definitely a real thing for a lot of people you know in predominantly white areas or where they're a minority essentially There's 
there's not necessarily like one way of being Irish, like, you know, and also Irish is like a culture as well. Mm. So that's not mm. determined. It's not that I very, very strongly identify as Irish. It's just that I'm Irish, you know? So yeah. when people are kind of like, oh, you're half Irish. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I'm Irish. Mm. Just feeling empowered to know that you, it's your, it's like your birthright. Like you can lay claim to that if, if that's what you want, that's what you are, you know? And also yeah. that doesn't exclude the other things that you are either. We're, mm. we're not, we're not one dimensional beings and we can be different things simultaneously. A lot of people find that really threatening, um, yeah. but they shouldn't. Like the world is actually like a very expansive place. You can be more than one thing and you can lay claim to, to lots of different things like mm. at the same time. And then to people who are, struggling with it I would want them to not feel um I'd want them to like not feel threatened um I'd want them to not be kind of like seduced by populist or racist narratives that um I see that suggest there's some sort of like takeover of like Irish culture like that's like Irish culture is like you know an inclusive and an expansive thing all cultures yeah. are constantly adapting and taking on board like integrating like new elements and like new aspects of culture that they come into contact with mm. and people aren't people aren't coming to Ireland and like forcing Irish people to like convert their religions or to like speak a different language or like taking over their institutions or anything like that like there's not like yeah. nothing like that is happening like people I think most people just like you know kind of want to come and live there and like get and get involved and I mm -hmm. think it's like it, it's quite beautiful that there's um all of these new cultural influences also contributing to like what Irishness is and can be well I don't know about you but I really enjoyed that conversation with Emma Debiri make sure you check us out on rte.ie forward slash podcast or on our socials on black underscore and Irish thanks so much for listening guys and don't forget to check us out next week 